May God teach you the meaning of that name, Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, it is wisdom's mystery, God with us. Sages look at it and wonder. Angels desire to see it. The plumb line of reason cannot reach halfway into its depths. The eagle wings of science cannot fly so high, and the piercing eye of the vulture of research cannot see it. God with us. It is hell's terror. Satan trembles at the sound of it. His legions fly apace. The black-winged dragon of the pit quails before it. Let Satan come to you suddenly and do you but whisper the word, God with us, and back he falls, confounded and confused. Satan trembles when he hears that name. God with us. It is the laborer's strength. How could he preach the gospel? How could he bend his knees in prayer? How could the missionary go into foreign lands? How could the martyr stand at the stake? How could the confessor acknowledge his master? How could men labor if that one word were taken away? God with us is the sufferer's comfort is the balm of his woe, is the alleviation of his misery, is the sleep that God gives to his beloved, is the rest after exertion and toil. God with us is eternity's sonnet, is heaven's hallelujah, is the shout of the glorified, is the song of the redeemed, is the chorus of angels, and is the everlasting oratorio of the great orchestra of the sky. God with us. God with us. If I had to take the complexities and the magnitude and the wonder of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and I was asked, could you boil it down to a single idea? Could you bring it down to its simplest reality? What is ultimately being said, communicated? What is the reality of the gospel? If I had to do that, I think I would choose those three words, God with us. That is the gospel, God with us. 
that we are not abandoned, but we are redeemed. We are bought back from uh, lostness and brokenness and separation. And instead of being uh, a person where God is not with us, we are a person that God is with us indeed. And that is the gospel, the great news of the gospel. And it is that reality, that truth that we are privileged to carry as Christ followers, that we are handed not only to experience ourselves, but also then to live out and to declare as we live our lives. We live a life now that demonstrates that God is with us and that God is someone that has come to be with us as a human race. This is what we get to live. We have been traveling through the book of Acts, and what we've been doing really is following the early New Testament church as they, like us, have been tasked and privileged to carry this gospel, this beautiful truth, into the known world uh, so that others would know that God has come to rescue. God is with us now. Uh, We started in Jerusalem with the early disciples uh, uh, that were with Jesus when Jesus was ascending, and he said, I'm going to give you the mission of the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of God. I'm going to make you my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we have followed them literally through that process, right? In Jerusalem, where we saw thousands come to know Jesus and full of the Holy Spirit, they then carried the word of God out to Samaria and Judea, where we saw thousands come to know Jesus uh, immediately and then more as the, the reality of the gospel, God is with us, was carried out. And then we saw it carried out into the regions around Judea and Samaria. We have now followed Paul, who is one of the key players in the journey of carrying the gospel out into the outer reaches of the world. And we followed him from Antioch with Silas into Galatia, where he picked up Timothy, the 400 miles to the Aegean Sea, in Troas, where he picked up Luke, the author of the book of Acts. They crossed over the Aegean Sea into Macedonia, and we are really traveling with them in Macedonia right now as we are watching the reality of the gospel preached and lived out among the people of Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is very different from the regions we have so far experienced because uh, in the uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and outer regions of that, you have a primarily Jewish presence, secondarily Gentile and Roman presence. And, and so you have a people you're preaching to that have a re- rich, deep understanding of the Word of God. They have a devoted life toward God. They understand the history of God's story. And so you bring into the continued story the reality of a Savior that marks the promises they've already known. That's a very different ballgame than walking into a culture that has no bearing on any of that. When we come into Macedonia, we come into Roman territory, pure, unadulterated Roman territory. Yes, there's a Jewish presence, but it's the minority. And so these people live on a very different kind of life rhythm than the people uh, of the Jewish regions do. This is Rome. Rome is a driven society. Rome literally is trying to take over the world, not just pretend. They're actually trying to do it. They are setting up an empire that will span the globe so that they will rule over all things. They are driven to set up empires. Their leader 
is thought of as a god. So this is the kind of society you're dealing with. They have been told from the time they were little, if you're Roman, you can do anything, no obstacle is too big to overcome, and you push through. So they are a society that is driven to succeed, driven to push through obstacles, driven to build empires. Every individual person is building their little empire. You get into Philippi, the first city in Macedonia, and you meet businessmen and women building little empires. And they are going to make a life for themselves. They're going to get wealthy. They're going to be secure. And they're going to have their empire within the great empire of the country they belong to that they take great pride in. Does this sound familiar to you? See, uh, you, you walk into Macedonia and suddenly you feel at home if you're part of the Western culture. You go, oh, so they're like us. I get it. We're the most powerful nation. Every individual can do whatever you want. There's no obstacle too big. Uh, succeed and you will be celebrated. And so you push to build an empire that is secure, that is big, that is strong. And that's what we do. And so when these guys walk into Macedonia, us Christ followers ought to pay very close attention and get very excited to go, what is it going to look like to have the gospel play out in a culture like that? Because that's what we can really align to and go, that's what it's going to feel like when we carry this great news that God is with us into our cultural context. So we walked into Philippi right away and we have seen some incredible things happen. Remember Lydia? Lydia comes to Jesus, lays down her dreams, her business, her well-being for the sake of the gospel, miraculous launch of the Philippian, uh, the Philippian church, the jailer in Philippi, bent on being a Roman soldier, uh, lays that down for the sake of the gospel. We see Jason in Thessalonica stand between Paul and the crowd to protect Paul, laying his own life uh, in danger for that sake because he loves Jesus, putting his reputation and, and his life on the line for that matter. Uh, we see the Berean Jews, noble in their pursuit of truth, wanting to know truth above even the protection of institutionalism. And so we see some beautiful stories emerge. And here's what we know. When the gospel enters a culture like ours, there is fruit to be realized. There are transformed lives to be experienced. So we do not need to be afraid. I mean, if we come into Macedonia and nothing happened, we might conclude, maybe we shouldn't go. But you see, lots is happening. And so we go, yes, God intends the gospel to enter into societal contexts like ours, and there is fruit to be realized. So it's pretty awesome. We also caught a glimpse through these lives of what life should look like as a Christ follower in this kind of society, right? I mean, these people are laying themselves down for the sake of the gospel, letting their dreams and their obsessions to build empires, laying those down for the sake of the gospel. And we are invited and challenged to look at our own lives and say, where is it I'm pursuing what I want over what the gospel wants? And challenged to lay that down. So we get glimpses into both in this. But something else also happens in Macedonia. Uh, trouble. Lots of trouble. It's, it's not an easy run. I mean, do you remember as we followed through, Paul gets to Philippi. What happens there? The jealous Jews stir up the Gentile crowds. They get ticked. They beat Paul to a pulp. They lock him into a prison in stocks and want to bring him out so that he can be either killed or kicked out of town. That didn't go so well, did it? That was hard, okay? Supernaturally, God releases him and he's whisked out of town uh, because the, 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 the leaders say, please leave, don't come back. He gets to Thessalonica, Preachers there, the jealous Jews stir up the crowds. The crowds go nuts. They want to kill Paul. Jason stands in the gap. Paul is whisked out of town because trouble in town. Off to Berea he goes. He gets to Berea. We see great fruit born there. The jealous Jews from Thessalonica come to Berea, stir up the crowds. They try to kill Paul. He's whisked out of town off to Athens. 
He gets to Athens, and no one's whisking him anywhere in Athens yet. But in Athens, he's provoked by the idols, preaches the gospel in the marketplace, and does a brilliant job of contextualizing the gospel to his cultural context in such a way that we expect a great revival to occur. And what do we hear? This is the end of the Athens story. Many mocked him, thought he was dumb. Many said, let's talk Tuesday. In other words, they blew him off. Hey, it's so sweet that you believe that. That sounds very intelligent. But you know what? I got things to do. I'll get back with you. And it says, a few believed. Just a few in Athens. A few believed. So let's just, let's just run, run with this, okay? You get to Philippi, you get beaten up and imprisoned and kicked out of town. You get to Thessalonica, you get almost beat up and kicked out of town. You get to Berea, you get almost beat up and kicked out of town. You get to Athens to be mocked, to be blown off, and a few believe. I mean, do you feel tired? I feel tired. I feel tired for Paul. I mean, sometimes we think Paul is a superhuman, but you will see in a minute, he is not a superhuman. He is like you and I. He does ministry because he's compelled by compassion and gospel action because he has seen the glory of God and he knows what it means that God is with us, but he gets tired. And so the story we're about to jump into, what we begin to discover is what life looks like on mission when it is not so easy and we are tired because if you're going to live on mission, you're going to get tired. And so let's see how we sustain missional life, how we sustain passion for God and passion on mission for God, when the life around us is sometimes difficult to deal with on mission. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 18. If you're using one of the Bibles we provide, it's page 602. If you're using one of the Bibles you brought or a smart device, go to Acts chapter 18 verse 1. Acts 18 verse 1, page 602 in our Bibles that we provide. Here we go. So the story starts this way. Simple, right? Verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. That's it. That's where it begins. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. It's a very simple statement. He is leaving Athens, and it says after what? After a few came to believe. So we see that Paul does not stay in Athens in any kind of longevity. He doesn't get with the church there. He doesn't plant a church, develop a church. As far as we know, we don't see a church really emerge here. So at some point, Paul, very shortly after the fruit in Athens, was not super significant simply left Athens and went to Corinth. Now this is very different than anything else that's happened in Macedonia. So when there's a difference, you ought to pay attention because there's a pattern change here, so something is changing. Up to now, every move Paul has made has been forced on him, right? He left Philippi, he left Berea, he left Thess- I mean Thessalonica, Berea, uh, because he had to. In Athens, there is no, the crowds got crazy, Paul was wished off. It simply says, Paul just left town. He just left. And it doesn't say, after many months of building an awesome church, it just says, after a few came to Jesus, Paul left Athens. And he went to Corinth. Now, it's interesting that Paul went to Corinth. Corinth is, is about 50 miles from Athens, directly west, 47 miles to be exact. And, and so the traveling over from Athens to Corinth, a couple of days travel by foot. If you're going by horse, maybe two days travel, not super far. But Paul heads to Corinth, and remember, he chooses Corinth now as well. We don't know whether that was a, a Spirit of God thing telling him to go, but from what we can tell in the Scriptures, Paul simply left Athens, went to Corinth. Now, on his way to Corinth, it's interesting that he would go to Corinth in particular, and we'll see in a minute some things unfold there. Corinth was a fascinating city. Corinth was a very wealthy city. 
uh, in the region of Achaia. Uh, the region of Achaia sits uh, by Macedonia, and in Achaia, Corinth was the city in that region. Uh, it was the capital city. It was economically strong. Uh, it was strong in trade. It was a great place to go. It was known for its wealth and its art, specifically dealing with copper. So copper was a sought-after commodity, and they're dealing in copper in art, right? So they're creating art. So you know when you've got a, 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 a semi-precious commodity and you're making art out of it, you know there's big money, right? I mean, that, that, so there's a prosperity about this city. It's also a city that was known as a city that if you wanted to come and dabble in the pleasures that this world allows for, this would be a good city to come and try. They had a motto in the city that what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. No, they, they, they didn't. I'm joking. But they could have because that's the kind of city it was. It was the Vegas of our cultural context. It's where you went when you wanted to dabble in the things you ought not dabble in and nobody would really care. And this was Corinth. It was Sin City in many ways, but Sin City with boatloads of money, lots of wealth, and a great economic reality within its region. Paul heads to Corinth in part also because at this point uh, in 49 AD, uh, um, uh, the, the, the leader of the Roman area had sent down, his name was Claudius, he'd sent down all of the Jews and Christians from Rome and kicked them out of Rome. Here's why. What we know from history is that Christianity, the way, had made its way to Rome and had created the same issues in Rome that Paul was experiencing in Macedonia. Get in a city, talk to the Jews, Jews get jealous, everything gets stirred up, people get, uh, get in trouble. And so Claudius had had it with this, and so he just kicked all the Jews and the Christians out of Rome for a short season. So many of them had traveled to Berea and to Thessalonica and to Corinth because these were strong cities, and if you lived in Rome, that meant you had money already, and so you're coming to some of the stronger economic cities. And so Paul is now traveling to Corinth to go and hang out with some people there that he had found out about. We don't know if he knew these people ahead of time. Sort of one of those, hey, you remember these guys? Oh yeah, where are they now? They're in Corinth when they had to leave, or whether he heard through the Bereans, because there were people from Rome and Berea, man, you, you ought to go hang with these guys. In Athens, there would have been some people there from uh, Rome as well, and it's very possible they were telling Paul, if you want to go hang out with some people that really know the pulse right now on what's going on as the gospel moves, you want to go hang out with these guys, okay? So look what happens. It says here, in verse 1, after Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. So there you see the story, right? Paul is going to see Aquila and Priscilla because they've left Rome because of the scenario there. Uh, we believe, we don't know for sure, but based on what happens with Paul now, we believe Aquila and Priscilla were believers in Jesus that were Jewish that had come from Rome. So they have a similar experience to what's been happening in the rest of Macedonia. Paul goes and hangs out with them. And it says, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Now this is super different from anything we've experienced so far in Paul's journey, isn't it? Think about it. Everything in Macedonia, frankly, everything anywhere with Paul has always been the same thing. He comes to a town, what does he do first? 
First thing we read, first sentence. He seeks out the synagogue or the Jewish presence in town. He goes to that synagogue or Jewish presence and he preaches the gospel. When the Jews come to know Jesus with some of the believing Gentiles, he takes those people and goes into the marketplace, into the city, either through a riot or through an intentional act and the rest of the town hears the gospel as well. That's Paul's strategy. That's been working. In Corinth, it says he leaves Athens, goes to Corinth, seeks out these two and goes and makes ten with him. You catch this? There is no, he sought out the synagogue. The first thing Luke tells us is that Paul got to Corinth and went and hung out with Aquila and Priscilla and made a bunch of tents. You know why I think Paul did that? And you'll catch it in a minute as we continue the story. I think Paul was tired. I think Paul got to Corinth and he's like, you know what? I don't, (laughs) I just don't feel like going to the synagogue right now. I'm just going to go hang out with Aquila and Priscilla. Can you imagine the talk with those guys? They got kicked out of Rome because of the move of Christianity. Uh, What a beautiful thing when we find those among us who are struggling with the same missional realities we are and we're able to say, man, yeah, when I was in Philippi, it was bad. Oh, Rome, you should see Rome, Paul. It's bad there. But man, here's some stories. And here's what happens. We get to empathize with one another. Wow, the gospel work is hard. Wow, carrying this gospel isn't easy in our culture. But you also get to share stories. Oh my gosh, I got to tell you about Lydia. Man, the jailer was awesome. He's what God did in the jail. Man, that's incredible. Despite the hardness of our calling, there's such incredible transformational stories taking place. This is when people share the gospel with each other who know Jesus. And so you see Paul hanging with Aquila and Priscilla and just making some tents and chilling out and talking gospel. And I, and I love that. And now you see why I say that Paul was tired because what happens next is super funny. Okay, Take a look. It says this. While he was hanging with Aquila and Priscilla, making tents, it says verse 4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. So what do we automatically know about Paul? When he got tired of doing mission, did it stop him from doing mission? No. It just delayed the immediate action in his city to hang with some friends first. See, Paul hangs out with some biblical community first in this city, but does he then just stick with that? They just gather together and get away from the world and just be. No, 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 no. He's on mission in Corinth, but it wasn't where he started. It was where he rolled into. He goes and hangs with some friends, and then before you know it, where's Paul? Where Paul always is, in the synagogue reasoning with the Jews, telling them about Jesus. Now take a look what happens. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So he's doing what he does. Now this is is what happens. And when they opposed and reviled him, this is not news to us, right? This is normal stuff. He shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now that's unusual. Have we seen Paul do this before? See, I've, I've read, I've been in the book Acts with you. I've never seen Paul do this. That's it, I'm done with you. Your blood's on your own hands. I'm innocent of your insanity. You want to revile me? You want to reject the gospel? Well, then that's up to you, but you're on your own. I mean, when I read that the first time, I felt right at home. I really did, except in my house, not out on the street in the synagogue. See, have you been there? Uh, you're pouring into your kids day in and day out, lecturing them, working, moving into the planet around them to what's best for them, and all they do is argue with you and tell you how dumb you are and tell you they know better. And So you get to those points, don't you? Maybe you don't, but I do. Well, I've had it. I've had it. 
And then I'll find myself, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm spent, I'm pouring into them. And then I'll get in that moment where I'll go, that's it. This was the last lecture you ever get from me. This is the last piece of wisdom I'll ever pour into you. I've had it. You're on your own. You go face that bad world out there by yourself. You think you know it all? Fine. Go do it. And when you're 40, don't come back to me and beg me to help you. Right? And then you're just like, yeah, I'm done with these kids. And walk into my uh, room and Brooke's there. And I'm like, no, that's it. And she goes, hey, how long before they figure out that wasn't true? <laughs> Probably tomorrow, but at least for right now. See, here's what I love about what happens next. This is why you know Paul is tired and is frustrated, and it's not just a strategy on his part. Because look what he does next. This is, this is so awesome. Look at this. So he's just shouted at the synagogue. He's mad at them. He's told them they're on their own, and he's done with their story. And it says this, and he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justice, a worshiper of God, his house was next door to the synagogue. Paul, we can see right through you, buddy. I'm done with these Jews. I'm done with the synagogue. I'm going to go do ministry in the house next door to the synagogue. (laughs) See, that's us, isn't it? Done with the kids, but I'm still right here. And and we know that he actually continued to work with the synagogue because look at the very next line. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. So we know that after he was done with the synagogue, he moves into the house next door to the synagogue, and later on, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, comes to know Jesus. So what was Paul doing? He was still secretly loving the synagogue, right? And I love that. You see this dynamic in Paul, this wrestle between the the tedious, hard nature of fruitless ministry and yet this compassionate, compelling gospel activity in him that says, you can't stop now because there's more. And so he's pouring himself out into the very people he's kind of ticked at and doesn't want to. Does this feel familiar? It does to me. So I go, okay, Paul, I, I, I get all of this. So he's in the house next door. He's doing that. And then we see some cool stuff happen, a cool fruit born right here. It says this. And after Crispus comes to know Jesus, it says, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Now, just before you start going, that's awesome, man. Paul hung in there and, and suddenly half the city of Corinth is coming to know Jesus and Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, knows Jesus. Notice something here. Let's, let's think back for a second. What's been the pattern of ministry in Paul's life? Here's the pattern, right? You ready? He goes to a synagogue. The Jews like him at first, then they don't. Then the Gentiles like him, then they come to Jesus. A few Jews believe, but a bunch of Jews don't. And the Jews that don't believe, who are trying to protect the institution and are jealous for their space, get mad at Paul, stir up the crowds because a bunch of Gentiles believe. The crowds go not beat Paul and put him in jail. There's the pattern. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, just not Athens, but Athens was a little more civilized, right? And so what, what does this mean? You're in Corinth, Sin City, the place where anything goes, right? Let's, let's do the math. Paul's gone to the synagogue. Most of the Jews didn't believe. A few key people did believe, but the other Jews didn't like it. Now he's talking to the Gentiles, and a bunch of Gentiles believe. And the next sentence is, and the jealous Jews of the synagogue stirred up the crowds and beat Paul to a pulp, right? Now, if you've been through something enough times that you know how bad it gets, it's a different experience, isn't it? We have this human thing we call fear, and it kind of creeps up, and you're like, oh my gosh, I know where this goes. When you've been on mission long enough in something, or you've experienced something that's difficult long enough, and you know where it goes, it stirs some fear in you. It's always interesting to me 
When I talk with women who travel through the pregnancy and birthing of children, you know, the first one's fascinating because the woman who's experiencing it has no idea what they're about to go through, right? They only know vicariously through others. Others have told them, well, it's this and it's that, and you're like, okay, but you don't really know, and if you did know, then you wouldn't do it, right? So that's why you don't know. Um, but you're compelled by this incredible thing God's putting you to be compassionate to the human race and birth children, and so, um, and so that you birth your first child, and, and you go through it, and now you know, now you know what it's like. And then the second child comes along. You see, it's a different experience, isn't it? I, I've heard, I don't know personally, but I watched my wife go through it. See, the second time around, it's totally different because nobody has to tell you what it's like. You already know. And so you're both excited that you know, but super scared that you know, because now you know what you don't want to go through. See, it's kind of like that. Paul knows. This is how it rolls. Once the Gentiles start coming to know Jesus, the Jews get jealous. They stir things up. I get beaten up. And so we know that Paul was afraid. How do we know Paul was afraid? Does it tell us? Yeah, in so many words, it really does because God does something incredible. Right at the point where Paul might throw in the towel and say, oh, I know where this goes. I'm going to leave town before the jail part. This is what God says. Take a look. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. Man, I love that. God didn't even bother just to kind of do this subtly. He shows up directly to Paul to tell him this one. Do not be afraid. See, that's where God started. That's why I know Paul was afraid. God doesn't bother telling us what we don't need to hear, okay? So God goes, Paul, let's just start here. Do not be afraid. I know you're scared. I know this is where things usually go badly, but do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. See, there they are, those incredible words. For I am with you. See, the fact that God is with us isn't just something we have the privilege to carry as Christ followers into the world on mission for others. It is also the very reality that gives us all that we need. God with us is not just the gospel we take to others. It is the gospel that's ours. God is with us. God rescued our souls. God restored our purpose. God redeemed our future. And he is now with us. And he is the one that is enough to give us what we need to sustain any story he has for us. And he says to Paul, Paul, listen, do not be afraid of what comes next. I get it. Philippi was bad. Thessalonica was worse. Berea was crazy. Athens was kind of a joke, and you were bummed there, and now these Corinthian Jews are insane, and you shook your coat off and shouted blood at them. I get it. You're tired. You're weary, and now it's about to get ugly again, but I am here. I am with you, and there's a story I am writing. Take a look what he says next. This is God speaking. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. Now, that's not a promise God makes to Paul that's an open-ended promise, right? We often pull those little things. Don't worry, it'll never get hard, because God promised nothing will harm you. Paul gets bitten by poisonous snakes after this. He gets shipwrecked after this. He practically drowns after this. People beat him up after this. He gets thrown in jail after this. And the end of his life is his head being chopped off and put to death because he's preaching the gospel. So clearly this is not a promise beyond Corinth, okay? This is for Corinth and Corinth only. But God says, here in this city, here and now, do not be afraid because I have a story I'm writing here. And for this story, I need you not to be harmed. So don't worry, you won't be. Watch this. Take a look. Here's the big one, right? 
you will not be attacked or harmed here for, there's the word for, it's the same word as because, it's connecting one thought to another. I'm doing this because this is true. You with me? And here's the big this is true. Here it is. Because I have many in this city who are my people. You see what God just did? Man, catch this. This is extraordinary. God just said, Paul, I'm going to show you what you cannot see, but what I already know and what I've already determined in my sovereignty. He's saying to Paul, there are many in this city that are not yet my people from your perspective because they don't yet know me, but they are already my people from my perspective. See, I have already written a story here that is going to birth fruit here, and your privilege is that you get to walk around and bring awake the fruit I've already prepared in advance to be born. You go, Paul, and you preach, because in this city, the, the experience you've had in Athens and some of the other cities that you may be starting to think, man, I just, I don't know if it's producing well here in Macedonia. I don't know if it's working. I feel like I've been preaching the gospel forever in my workplace or wherever else you are. And then just doing it is not bearing any fruit. And God comes to Paul and he goes, stop, stop, man. I have you in the city for a purpose because in the city, in the spaces you cannot see, there is yet fruit to be realized. And sometimes when we're working in the most tedious spaces, uh, our parenting spaces, our, our, our relational spaces, uh, our spousal relationships, our workplaces, our social networks, our neighbors, it just feels like it's on and on and on and we're, we're tediously working away at something that is not going to bear any fruit. And so we want to throw in the towel and we want to we just say, this is dumb, I'm done with this. And Paul, uh, Paul hears God come and God says to him, stay the course I would not have you here if there was not fruit to be born yet. I have prepared an advance fruit. Remember Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10? For you are God's workmanship in Christ. God's workmanship prepared for good works, to do good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. See these hard things we run into? hard things in our relational dynamics, hard things in the carrying of the gospel or hard things we take on for the gospel when they become so heavy that we're like the best way is to bail on them. That is our standard way out in our cultural context because comfort, convenience, and ease are our idols. God comes and whispers and says, there's fruit here to be born. Buckle down and know that I will write a story that's redemptive in this. What a beautiful promise from God. I'm with you. Do not be afraid. Keep at it because there is fruit here that is yet to be realized and I'm the one that will author it. He's saying to Paul, this is not your story, bro. It's not your story. It's mine. And you are participant in this story and you get to participate by carrying the gospel and living the gospel and that will bring awake what I've already prepared to wake up. And boom. Paul is set free from fear. And take a look at what it says here. It says this, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. There it is. This beautiful confirmation from Luke to say, Paul said, hang in there. Paul did. Uh, uh, God said, hang in there. Paul did. And God protected Paul. And in fact, just to solidify this, he puts this little story and read it with me real quick. But when Galeo, the proconsul of Achaia, that's the region Corinth is in, 
the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. Does this sound familiar? Jealous Jews bring Paul before tribunal to get him beaten up and put in jail, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, I love that part, Paul's about to defend himself, but God goes, shh, 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 I got this covered. I see, I control the guy that's the proconsul. He doesn't know because he doesn't know me, but I've got him. Watch, watch. Okay, proconsul guy, say what you're supposed to say. Go, watch. Proconsul guy, look at this. This is so awesome. Right when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galeo said to the Jews, if, I were, uh, if this were a, a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O oh Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names of your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. So the proconsul who in every other city has caused the crowds to beat Paul up in this city defends Paul. I love it. And he defends Paul so much so that apparently the Jews didn't have the right to touch Paul because you can read it there. They go pull out one of the leaders in the synagogue that became a believer and they beat him up. I feel bad for him, I really do. But in this case, Paul doesn't get beaten up. It's almost as though they had no opportunity to go and take it out on Paul, so they took it out on somebody else. But Paul is like, all right. And he goes on preaching the gospel in Corinth. See, this is an extraordinary and wondrous thing that God is coming to Paul in the midst of a tired and weary run in Macedonia where there's fruit, yes, but the fruit feels small in comparison to what it should be. And God says to Paul, listen, listen, Paul, I am with you. I am with you here. I am at work in you. I am at work around you. I am at work through you because this is not your story. It's mine. So confidently proceed into what seems like fruitless reality because there is fruit that is promised here because I promised it. So don't measure whether you should keep going based on whether it seems fruitful or fruitless at this point because there's much to come. And my people are already here, and you will see them come awake as you carry the gospel. This is the joy. The promise is now experienced, and where does it leave us? As we travel through Macedonia, here's what we get so far. Should we be provoked by the things in our culture that are bringing down the souls of men, women, and children, including trying to bring down our own? Yes, Should we be provoked by the idols of our culture? Yes. Should we be provoked by the issues of our culture in our pursuit of convenience and comfort that are creating messes in every relational dynamic? Yes. Should we stand around and just go, oh, well, it's the way it rolls? No. We should be provoked by the things that are eroding the souls of men, women, and children, including our own, Then we should stand up for those. We should be provoked into gospel action and compassion, carrying the reality of the gospel in both the way we live and the way we speak. We should live out the gospel by taking on the redemptive realities that our city needs us to take on, whether it be caring for orphans and widows and the poor, whether it be engaging in social justice, whether it be stepping into hard stuff in people's lives in our missional communities. We ought to be stepping into the redemptive realities that need us as ambassadors of redemption for Jesus. And we ought to be preaching the actual gospel that says the reason I'm stepping into this is because Jesus is with me and Jesus is with us because the gospel is what? God with us. Yes, we ought to be doing that. And when we do, should we expect it to go badly? 
Yes. It's going to be hard. You don't get into mess without some hard stuff. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard. It's going to be hard. It's going to be exhausting. It's going to be fruitless for seasons of time. And when it's tiring and exhausting and fruitless, how do we sustain? By bucking up, by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps? No, that's a cultural reality and done work. No, we do that by engaging deeply back into the promises of God and intimacy with God. And we do that by engaging with biblical community and remembering the promises of God by preaching the gospel to each other. When Paul got to Corinth, he sought out some friends that made tents. They had some common ground. They were both on mission together and it was rough and they got to share preaching the gospel. Do you have a biblical community where you can engage and just cry and laugh and share your stuff? Are you in missional community? If you're not, you ought to be. You don't get to sustain a missional life without strong biblical community. And you ought to have that space. Those friends that you can go to and go, man, this was hard week. Oh, I know. But they also go, hey, here are the stories. Here's what God's doing. You remember Lydia? That was awesome. And the gospel is preached. Preach it to yourself. Preach it to one another first. And then after that, as the gospel is preached and you remember that, share the promises of God with each other. God is with us. God is always with us. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's heavy. But this life is a vapor. We're on this planet for a a vapor and God has already promised there's fruit to be realized in your life. If the fruit of your life story was done, I promise you this, you would take your last breath and it'd be over. God is not leaving you on planet earth just to see how it goes. Let's see how they handle it. Think. (laughs) That is not how he rolls. If you are here on this planet, breathing in and out, it is because the work in you is not complete and the work through you is not complete. And so you have work that is going to be completed in you and through you, and no matter how heavy, know that that's promised already. So it is not fruitless. Stay the course, live the gospel, live the gospel. And there is fruit to be realized, I promise you, because God promised us. God is with us. God is at work, God is authoring, and we are invited to participate by making the gospel known and watching it through our life and our words awaken the fruit that God has already prepared in advance to have awake. Who wouldn't want to live that out on this planet? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this incredible story that you have allowed us to get a glimpse into in Corinth where Paul, exhausted and tired, gets to Corinth, hangs out with some friends for a while, gets ticked off at the Jewish people, shouts at them about their blood on their own hands and then moves in next to them so he can still love them, sees things unfold and then realizes, man, the hard stuff's coming. And I love God that right there in the midst of his exhaustion, in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his weightiness to live life on mission, you come in such a beautiful vision just to tell him again as you tell us, don't be afraid, I'm with you. I'm authoring this story. I will keep you protected through the story so that I will finish the work in you and I promise you there's fruit here. Otherwise, I wouldn't have you here. God, may we grab a hold of that promise and may we linger there, rest in it so that we might see born out of that promise the sustainable power to go back into our day, our week, our month, 
into the relational dynamics that are tough right now, into the sharing of the gospel in spaces that are tough right now, whether it's what we take on, what you've given us to take on, or what it is we're preaching in hard places. And when it gets hard and we want to bail because it seems fruitless, I pray you, Spirit of God, would remind us, shh, I have you here. There's great fruit to be realized. Stay the course. Do not bail. The gospel's big enough and it matters enough. I am with you. Remind us, Spirit of God, of these truths, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.